gas was 50 cents a gallon And they'd put it in for you And they'd pump your tires and check your oil And wash your windows too And we'd shine those cars as bright as bright And we'd go park underneath that light Stare out at the prairie sky There was nothing else to do Good morning, sweet, beautiful Texas and beyond. That's the music of Fred Eagle Smith kicking things off for us on Dallas Safari Club's Lone Star Outdoors show brought to you by Lone Star Beer and our friends at Hoff Power Polaris. I'm Cable Smith. Thank you so much for being here. It's it's great to be talking, hunting, fishing, the great outdoors, and all that implies with you fine folks today. Man, we've got a good show planned for you this morning, so you know what to do by now. Pour yourself another cup of coffee, grab that stool, Pull it a little closer to the old campfire uh, because off the top, uh, we are going to talk spring turkey with our Texas Parks and Wildlife Turkey Program Leader, Jason Harden. Uh, the South Zone opens up this weekend, so strutting toms are uh, on everybody's minds, that is for sure. And we'll have Jason break things down for us from a region-to-region region standpoint, uh, you know, what Texas hunters can expect in their neck of the woods for the 2015 season. And uh, and I'm certainly looking forward to Jason's 2015 fearless forecast coming up here momentarily. Uh, then we're joined by bow hunter and Round Rock, Texas mayor, Alan McGraw, who earlier this month became the first bow hunter to harvest a Texas desert bighorn sheep on Texas public land using archery tackle. Uh, so we'll get the details on that incredible sheep hunt coming up here. And what an awesome conservation success story, too, by the way. Uh, Texas Parks and Wildlife Desert Bighorn Sheep Restoration has been uh, coming from, you know, the herd being completely wiped out to where we are today with over 1,500 animals. It's uh, one of the nation's uh, biggest conservation successes in, in the last few decades. After that, uh, we will kind of get back into spring turkey talk uh, with Field and Stream shotgun editor Phil Borgeli. Uh, he drops in to explain shot decay, uh, why that's important, you know, knowing your load and how it performs at different set distances. You know, today's shotgun loads uh, allow hunters to really reach out there and, and touch a bird at distances where you know you kind of it's kind of questionable is it ethical to shoot a turkey with a shotgun at 60 yards well yeah but that depends on your pattern and you need to know where your effective killing range ends and we'll get into all that uh, with Phil coming up here in a little bit then we will wrap things up when one of our longtime uh, fan favorites makes his return to the broadcast uh, Captain Lynn Gerard. We'll be here live from the Texas coast. So we will talk trout, redfish, flounder, black drum, and who knows what else uh, with everybody's favorite captain, Lynn Gerard, coming up here at the bottom of the hour. That's what's on the docket for today. We've got a lot to get into. We'll be all over the map. It's going to be good. I guarantee you that. couple other things to mention here. We'll do a, uh, a night and hail wet willy box call giveaway. Uh, since it's spring turkey, we'll give this box call away this morning. It's the same call that I've used in the woods, gosh, the last six or seven seasons now. And uh, here's how we're going to do it. Be listening to our visit with Field and Stream shotgun editor Phil Borgeli. When Phil tells us 
the closest distance that he's ever missed a turkey at. Uh, text in that distance to 214-289-7807. That's 214-289-7807. And we'll get you entered into the uh, Wet Willie box call drawing. You won't miss it when he tells you. You'll be uh, you'll be impressed. It's that bad. Um, so anyway, be sure to stay tuned for that. Also, a uh, quick reminder, our March 2015 Photo of the Month contest is going on right now. We've got a Magellan GPS unit. Uh, this is a, a pretty sweet unit here. I think they list for like 300 bucks or so. It's got all of the bells and whistles. Uh, all you have to do to be eligible to win is send in your best hunting or fishing photo to Lone Star Outdoor Show at gmail.com. Better yet, post it directly to our Facebook page wall. And uh, we'll get you entered into this month's contest. And then our 12 monthly winners from 2015 will square off at the end of the year for a chance to join me down at Coons Canyon Ranch in Rock Springs, Texas, where we will hunt trophy axis deer or black buck. So you don't want to miss out on that opportunity as well. Uh, let's go ahead, take a quick break here. When we come back, we'll get our Texas Parks and Wildlife Turkey Program Leader Jason Harden's fearless forecast for the 2015 spring turkey season. You're listening to Dallas Safari Club's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Cable Smith here for Deerview Windows. As a whitetail hunter, nothing is more frustrating than poor visibility in a deer blind. It can flat ruin a hunt. At Deerview Window Company, they manufacture windows solely for the use in deer stand and deer blinds. All of their windows and doors can be custom made to fit your specific openings. Or you can select from standard sizes, from hinged windows to sliding windows and everything in between. Visit DeerviewWindows.com to determine which style window is best for your deer blind. Plus, you'll get a free quote. Deerview Windows, where visibility matters. The Central Flyway migration of ducks and geese is going to be epic. And if your trigger finger is getting that itch, then give Ed Hansen of Hansen Outdoors a call. Now booking trips in the Northeast Texas area. Hunt lakes like Cooper or Lake Fork for $150 a gun or hunt Ed's private honey holes for $200 a gun. You'll also enjoy amazing dog work with Retriever Champion Lead. In that right, Lead? Visit HansenOutdoors.net to book your trip today or give Ed a call at 903-521-4595. And right now only book a four-man duck hunt and bring a fifth hunter for free. Rockwall Gun Club is North Texas' premier shooting facility, offering both indoor and outdoor ranges, including a unique 500-yard rifle range. If shotgunning's your thing, then check out the 18-station clay course. Opening summer 2014, Rockwall Gun Club is offering special introductory, family, and corporate membership rates for founding members. Located at 15950 State Highway 205, you can also visit rockwallgunclub.com or call 972-215-6902. Rockwall Gun Club, the private shooting experience. At Frost, we could talk to you about our 24-7 online banking. Or we could talk to you about our more than 1,100 ATMs across Texas. We can even talk to you about our mobile banking app that lets you pay bills, transfer funds, and deposit checks from anywhere. But at the end of the day, there's nothing we enjoy more than to just talk to you. Thank you for calling Frost. How may I help you? We're here with the technology and convenience you want and the service you deserve. Frost. Banking. Investments. Insurance. 
Larson Electronics is a Texas-based lighting company that's been outfitting the United States military since the 1960s. And while they continue to support our troops, they also now have over 200 lights ideal for your hunting and fishing needs. Like the 35-watt HID camouflage Go Light Striker with remote that's 15 million candle power in the palm of your hand. Ideal for predator and hog hunting, they also have remote-controlled floodlights, feeder lights, and LED boat lights. Visit LarsonElectronics.com and go Texan with Larson Electronics for all your lighting needs. I've been a-hunting these woods since I was seven years old. This shotgun was my granddad's, now it's mine to hold. I ain't never hurt no one except a turkey each year. Come Sunday morning. Guns and Religion, one of my favorites there from Austin Cunningham, bringing us back on Dallas Safari Club's Lone Star Outdoors show. Brought to you by Lone Star Beer. And Hoff, Power Polaris, Cable Smith here. Thank you so much for letting me ride shotgun with you on this, the opener of the South Zone as far as spring turkey season goes here in Texas. So everybody's got gobblers on their mind. And uh, we're going to talk some spring turkeys with uh, the authority on the subject here in the Lone Star State momentarily. But first, this segment is brought to you by Dallas Safari Club, the worldwide leader in big game conservation so get involved with this great group of like-minded folks passionate about conservation, hunter advocacy, and education. Check us out at biggame.org. Well, like we said, uh, today's the day all of you South Zone turkey hunters have been waiting for. The season is finally here, uh, and then the North Zone will follow suit in a couple weekends, uh, and the uh, the Eastern Turkey Counties won't be far behind that. So anyway, uh, good times to uh, to be a turkey hunter in Texas. And let's go ahead and find out what hunters can expect as far as uh, this spring season goes. Uh, joining us now to give us his fearless forecast is our Texas Parks and Wildlife Turkey Program Leader and our old friend, Jason Harden. Thanks for being here, man. Great to be back, Cable. You bet, my friend. Always great to touch base with you. Um, and like we said, the South Zone opens up today. Uh, let's not waste any time, and uh, we'll start there. What can South Zone hunters expect to see this season as far as, you know, number of matured toms? Uh, did we get timely rainfall um, in 2014 that, that should lead to good nesting conditions? And now that that bitter and, and late winter uh, seems like it's finally behind us. Sure. Well, this past spring, you know, it was fairly dry. So uh, so the turkeys didn't get off to a really great start, but the rains did come in early summer, which provided some nesting opportunity. And we're actually going to see a, a decent number of jakes out there this year. Um, there were a lot of two-year-old birds out last year, and we had great carryover. Uh, those were birds produced in 2012, two-year-old birds last year. had a lot of fun chasing those birds, and a lot of those are going to be still on the landscape, three-year-old big boss toms. So it should be some good uh, age structure out there for hunters in the in the south zone. Um, we've started off the year great, good soil moisture, um, which should turn those hens on, get them in good physical shape for, for breeding. And uh, I would expect that the hens are going to be running around with gobblers pretty early this season. Oh, yeah, yeah. And we uh, recently just wrapped up a trail camera uh, photo contest, and we got lots of, of submissions of strutting toms, uh, not just from the south zone, also the north zone and east Texas as well. So it seems like uh, they are <laughs> they're ready to get going. Yeah, with well, those toms, they're they're always ready. You know, yeah. um, 
it's really that hen's decision on when everything happens. We've been seeing birds in East Texas strutting and gobbling, chasing hens, chasing each other. So the toms are ready to go. Um, we try to set our season structure so we make sure the majority of those hens have been bred uh, before we open the season. And uh, that's why we have the season set like it is. But, sure, those those toms are ready to go right now. And hopefully when the season opens, most of those hens will be bred and we'll all be in good shape for chasing birds. See, that makes perfect sense. Um, but I don't know how many interviews we've done over the years, uh, but we've never hit on that. Interesting there. You guys actually start the season knowing most of the hens have already been bred. That That's our goal. And in a, in a state like Texas, especially across the Rio Grande Range, where you might have a dry year and a wet year. Some years, the breeding activity doesn't begin until the season's almost over. Mm -hmm. um, those birds are keyed in by photo period, but in those drought conditions, if a hen can't get in good shape, get lots of fat on her uh, through the green vegetation coming up after those rainfalls, um, then she might not be in, in breeding condition. So we try to provide a long season, provide lots of opportunity, but based on long-term data, we do know that most of those hens are going to be bred uh, around the beginning of, of the season. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, well, let's uh, let's switch it up. It sounds like the south zone's in pretty good shape. Let's talk north zone here. You know, we had a, kind of a cold and wet spring last year, and I'm just, look, mm -hmm. you know, remembering back to opening morning, and I was actually guiding a couple guys in Jack County, and, man, we could not get uh, anything to talk to us. And, and uh, it was a pretty rough, you know, start there. Um, we have had, obviously, a cold and wet spring again this year, how, what does that mean for the north zone hunters? Yeah. Well, you know, our goal for, for our hunters, we want to see it be nice and green early. And that means those hens will be in good physical condition. They're going to get bred and uh, and get on the nest early, which means the rest of the season, those toms are going to be out chasing, looking for those few hens that are left, which means you can call them in a lot easier. The cold does set them back a little bit, but that good soil moisture is really going to be key to get those greens going early, get the hens in good physical shape, which means they're going to get bred early, and, and then the rest of the season we should be good to go. Um, I would expect early in the season, depending on if we have a cold snap or not, um, going forward. But early in the season, I would expect some of those hens to, to be, or the toms to be hinned up and then open it up later in the season as we go on. So don't put all your eggs in one basket for the early part of the season. Um, late part of the season can be excellent in Texas some, some years. Yeah, and we were talking off the air, and you mentioned – the uh, kind of if you had to circle one weekend, the third weekend in April would probably be uh, your your ideal weekend uh, yeah. for, for north north zone hunters. If I have my choice, that third weekend is a great time to get out there. Um, Any time you can go is great. Yeah, I'm going an opening weekend, and I'm going to give it a shot. Oh, me too. But um, but uh, you know, you always that if if I had my choice, if I was on the land all the time, that third weekend is a great time to be out there chasing birds. No doubt, no doubt. And what uh, you know. Talk about some, some hot spots um, as far as, you know, like last year I know Jack County was, was one of uh, the places where you, you know, you thought was going to be really, really good in it. It turned out to be, uh, honestly, for a lot of folks. Um, what about for, uh, for this season going forward? You know, I was out in Menard County last year and just had a ton of birds around. Um, the, that Wheeler County, the northeastern portion of the Panhandle, it's a long ways to go, but it's an excellent place to go hunting. Um the Hill Country, uh, Slyker County, that country is always good year in and year out. And then if you're down in the south zone, if you can be near the coastal sand plains, um, that that country, uh, the big the big ranch country down there, that is an excellent place to chase turkeys. Tons of birds, not a lot of pressure, um, can be a blast. 
Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, Jason, you know, you mentioned that there'll probably be a lot of jakes on the landscape as far as the south zone goes. What about the north zone? Um, You know, a couple years ago, we had that epic drought, and that had a profound effect on the ratio of toms to jakes um, that were on the landscape. And that really was statewide. But uh, what can north zone hunters expect this season? Well, that 2011, we got very little uh, reproductive activity. That meant we had a lot of hens going into 2012 nesting season, and we've seen the benefit of that over these last couple of years. We're going to see the benefit of that going forward. But we did have uh, soil moisture, some, some rainfall late in the nesting season, but we still get, did get some production off that. It's not going to be a huge crop of jakes, but you should see jakes almost everywhere you go. Mm-hmm. Okay, perfect. Well, um, let's switch it up talk about that other species of turkey subspecies we have here in texas the eastern turkey uh completely wiped off the landscape you know at one point and then through uh texas parks and wildlife you guys what y'all been doing reintroduction um you know it's been successful and, and now we have um a pretty uh well-established number of birds and in, in multiple counties i forget the number you can probably tell us how many counties have 28 a, counties this season 28 counties one bird limit um, i actually was was duck hunting in uh, grayson county this year and, and we saw a bunch of uh, easterns up there uh, which was encouraging so um how are the eastern turkeys doing overall uh, because i know there was actually even a couple counties that were um, on the docket to have their seasons closed so what's going sure. on there sure so the eastern turkeys are, are kind of located in island populations you mentioned grayson county grayson county is one of the most rapidly growing turkey populations in uh, the nor- northeastern part of the state. Pretty much Grayson County along the Red River, the northern half of all those counties all the way over to Bowie County are some of the best eastern turkey country in the state. And then you get these little voids and then pockets of birds here and there, and that's where we ended up closing a few counties. But then if you go back down to the southeastern portion of the state, Sabine County, Newton, Jasper, Nacogdoches, that's another uh, good, strong area for our turkey populations. and. Uh, as far as easterns go. Mm-hmm. Again, it is a one-bird bag limit. Um, we estimate about 10,000 birds in East Texas. So there are birds there, huntable populations, but you gotta be, you got to do your homework and know where to go. Right, right. Well, um, not only do you oversee our, our turkey program for Texas Parks and Wildlife, you're, I mean, you're an avid turkey hunter just like me. Uh, you're going to be uh, chasing them all over the state, easterns, you're going to head west. I know you're going to the, you know, Menard County, uh, and then also even into Oklahoma. So, you know, it looks like you have quite a few hunts planned. And as a seasoned turkey hunter, what is your favorite way to to chase them? Um, do you like to run and gun, or do you like to set up a blind and, and you know, have the area scouted and, and just wait for the birds to come to you? You know, I, I love to run and gun. It's it's the hardest thing in the world for me to be be patient. <laughs> it sounds like um, me. <laughs> I try my best to be patient, and uh, and I'm usually successful whenever I, whenever I go against those those urges to get up and move but i love to run and gun um i I love to bow hunt as well so occasionally i will set up a blind and uh and go that route but there's nothing like getting out there and chasing those birds and Mm. literally chasing them so Mm -hmm. um that's that's what i like to do and that's my favorite thing that's what keeps it interesting for me great time of year to get out and see the landscape everything green up and uh and and that's that's my passion well you know, it sounds just like me because I don't see, you know, when you see all these turkey hunting shows, I don't see how these people sit in a field all day with a bow and wait for them to, I, I just, you know, when I hear them gobbling, that's where I'm going. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, I want to sit Absolutely. up, get there and intercept them and, you know, and, 
and that's kind of the game that I really enjoy. Absolutely. Um, well, uh, just kind of wrapping things up here, there are a couple of great uh, opportunities for public land turkey hunting. We've got the, the LBJ grasslands for the uh, the northern guys, um, and then also for the if folks want to try to go after an eastern bird, they can check out the uh, the Caddo National grasslands. The Caddo National grasslands, they can also go go uh, go south and east over to the National Forest lands, um, uh, more plantations. Uh, or those WMAs and, and, and National Forest Service lands do provide some excellent turkey hunting opportunities. Well, hey, Jason, it sounds like it's going to be a great spring. I'm certainly looking forward to it, as I know our listeners are as well. Um, real quick, I know there was one other thing that you're pretty excited about and, and wanted to mention here. Well, one thing I'd like to get out there is we do have a new app available for our for our, our turkey hunters or any of our resident game, bird, or game hunters. It's called My Texas Hunt Harvest. You can download it for free on, on Google Play or, or on uh, the, the App Store. And uh, it's a new opportunity. Instead of in East Texas, you're required to report your turkey within 24 hours of harvest mm-hmm. at one of our mandatory check stations. We're going to shut down those check stations uh, next spring. They'll still be out there this year. But going forward, if you have a smartphone or, a, or an iPad, something like that, you can check your bird straight from the field. You can also check your bird online on the Parks and Wildlife website. Just go to our turkey page, and you can click on it there. Uh, you can also find the uh, the downloads for the apps on that page as well. So I hope folks will download that and, and put it to, to good use. Awesome. Well, that's pretty user-friendly right there and, and should save Texas Parks and Wildlife money uh, in the long run. Saves everyone money, saves time, and we hope to get a lot of good data to continue to manage the resource. Sounds like a plan. Hey, Jason, thanks for your time, man. We appreciate all you do, and I uh, hope you have a great season. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Gabe. We'll talk to you soon. All right, there he goes, our Texas Parks and Wildlife Turkey Program Leader, Jason Harden. Uh, now you know what to expect, as uh, Jason gave us his fearless forecast for the 2015 spring season. Uh, that segment, by the way, brought to you by STI Guns. Texas made in Texas proud. STI offers a full lineup of 1911 and 2011-style pistols in every caliber available. Check them out at sticuns.com. And go Texan, go STI. Uh, Let's knock out a quick break. When we come back, we'll check in with the mayor of Round Rock, Texas. He's also a passionate bow hunter, recently became the first hunter to ever harvest a desert bighorn with archery tackle on Texas public land. We'll hear all about that coming up only on Dallas Safari Club's Lone Star Outdoor Show. When the cold wind moans in a long black veil, she cries over my bones. She walks these hills in a long black veil. Did you know there's a bank that will pay you to be its customer? That's right. Lone Star Ag Credit is a cooperative, and since it's owned by its stockholders, pays millions in dividends each year. That's free money to every borrower. Lone Star Ag Credit serves people all over Northeast Texas, assuring you competitive interest rates on real estate loans, rural home loans, livestock and farm and ranch loans. Contact Lone Star Ag Credit today at 800-530-1252 or on the web at LoneStarAgCredit.com. Equal housing lender. 
Whitetail season has come and gone, y'all, but that doesn't mean it's time to stop hunting. Coons Canyon Ranch in Rock Springs, Texas specializes in exotics such as axis deer and black buck. Coons Canyon offers quality animals at a price the working man can afford. Military personnel, police, and firefighters get 10% off the total price. Lodging is available upon request, as are other exotic species. Visit CoonsCanyonRanch.com for your next exotic trophy hunt. That's CoonsCanyonRanch.com. Hey friends, Cable Smith here for DFW Safes. We all know that our guns are a big part of our lives, from grandfather's old 12-gauge to that trusty tack driver of a deer rifle. And DFW Safes is North Texas' premier safe dealer, specializing in rhino, bighorn, huntsman, heritage, and fortress safes, to name a few. They're family-owned and operated and have over 24 years' experience in the safe and installation business. They even have commercial safes for your business and scratch-and-dent safes for the most frugal of gun owners. Visit DFWSafes.com to set up your delivery today. That's DFWSafes.com or call 817-715-1068. At LSC Trailer Sales, we offer a full line of utility trailers from small single axle trailers to heavy equipment trailers, ATV trailers, car haulers, landscape trailers, cargo trailers, truck beds, and more. We can special order a custom trailer specific to your needs and have the ability to customize standard models in-house. LSC Trailer Sales is here to assist you with any questions you might have about trailers. Call 940-484-5500 or visit us at lsctrailersales.com. Finally, quality trailers at affordable prices in Dallas-Fort Worth. Are you looking for the perfect place to send your hunting buddy? Then check out Tioga Retrievers. With over 20 years experience, Angie and Tim Becker can provide you with a field champion or a well-rounded hunting companion. Tioga Retrievers takes pride in catering to the needs of each owner and their dog. Conveniently located 45 miles north of DFW in Aubrey, Texas, Tioga Retrievers also offers day training and boarding. Call 940-440-0018 or visit them online at www.tiogaretrievers.com. That's T-I-O-G-A retrievers.com. Connor Harrison. I'm the associate editor of Lone Star Outdoor News, and you're listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. But around here, baby, I learned you get what you can get. So if you're looking for love, honey, I'm tougher than. That is the late, great Chris Ledoux bringing us back on Dallas Safari Club's Lone Star Outdoor Show, brought to you by Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris. Cable Smith here. Thank you so much for sharing a part of your weekend with me. I sincerely do appreciate it. And uh, we are actually about to get into uh, some more Desert Bighorn talk on the heels of our discussion uh, with Froilan Hernandez last week. Uh, we've got the mayor of Round Rock, Texas, coming up here in just a second. Uh, why is that pertinent to <laughs> Desert Bighorns? Uh, we'll explain that momentarily. But first, this segment of the show brought to you by Lone Star Ag Credit, who since 1917 has assured their borrowers competitive interest rates on real estate loans, rural home loans, livestock, and farm and ranch loans. Let Lone Star Ag Credit help you finance your piece of Texas today. Visit LoneStarAgCredit.com. Well, uh, moving right along here, let's go ahead and bring on our next guest. He is the mayor of Round Rock, Texas. He's also a passionate bow hunter. It is my pleasure to welcome Alan McGraw to the show. Absolutely glad to be here. Well, it is a pleasure to have you, sir. And uh, I imagine being the mayor of Round Rock pays very little. <laughs> so what is your real job? You're right. It pays very little. Uh, in real life, I am a real estate attorney. I have my own firm here in Round Rock. 
Awesome. Awesome. So I know you obviously work pretty hard and that allows you to pursue your dream of becoming a super slammer. Uh, you want to take all 28 North American species and you want to do it with a bow when it comes to uh, these big game trophies. And uh, how many of the 28 have you taken so far? I've got, I've got 16. If I'm not, I'd have to sit there and add my head, but I believe, I believe I've got 16 and I think 14 of them have been with a bow. So I'll, I need to go back and pick up a couple of caribou uh, uh, with a bow. But, you know, my deal is when I say that I want to do that, it's not one of those things that I'm trying to get done next year or the next or even the next. This is one of those lifetime dreams of mine that it's 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 really like just this really long process of doing it. I'm not one of those guys that set a goal. I'm going to have all this done in five years and I'm going to go, you know, do every one of these hunts every year that's not the way i look at it because i'm not i'm not doing it just to take it off the list i'm really doing it because when you're hunting these animals and you're getting out in their country you're you're getting to see place see places and walk places that oftentimes people have never been before and to me it's just the adventure of getting to see really so much in north america by getting out and pursuing all these animals so that's really the reason i, I, I i'm doing it well, I mean, you just knock one or two off the list every year, and eventually, uh, hopefully, it'll happen. Yeah, exactly. So. I mean, that's kind of the way I look at it. And, and uh, it's just, like I said, you get to see so many different places. It's just, uh, it, you know, and, and if I end up and I don't do it, and I, and I, and I say I've hunted all 28, or some, some call it 29, whether it's 28 or 29, if I hunted them all, I'll be happy because I will have seen so many just amazing places. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No doubt about it. Um well, out of the uh, 16 or so that you've taken, uh, which one was the most difficult so far? Um, I would have to say, hands down, it was brown bear. And the reason that I say that is because it took me six hunts to get one. Oh, wow. Yeah, to finally get one with a bow. So I did, uh, I did six different hunts over the course of 14 years uh, to trying to do it with a bow before I finally got one. And I finally got one in, um, May of 2013. It was a really nice bear and it was back where I started with my very first brown bear hunt back in 1999. So it's just, it's one of my favorite places in the world in Alaska, uh, on the Fognac Island, which is just North of Kodiak Island. And so when that thing finally came together after all those years and all those attempts and, and quite frankly, all that money, I mean, it was just a really amazing experience. Mm. Wow. Incredible. Incredible. Well, now, um, had you hunted any of the four North American sheep species prior to this month? Last summer, I did my first doll sheep hunt up in the Northwest Territories and had an amazing hunt, did not kill a sheep. Um, we were, we, you know, had, had I, had I been rifle hunting, I would have been tagged out the first day or at least the second day for sure. Uh, but with a bow, it just didn't work out, and we worked. I mean, we worked really, really hard, um, uh, and it, it, it just it never came together. But just what an what an amazing place up there in the McKenzie Mountains, of North Northwest Territories, and so that was my first sheep hunt. Mm. Wow, wow. Well, uh, I know that you just got back here a couple weeks ago from your Texas Desert Bighorn sheep hunt, um, mm-hmm. and you ended up with one of the thirteen coveted. Uh, desert bighorn tags in the Lone Star State this past year, and I, I believe you, um, you know, you got it through the TWA auction. And the cool thing about that is, uh, Texas Parks and Wildlife donates one tag to one conservation organization every year, whether it's TWA or Texas Bighorn Society. But they, you know, they give these tags to these organizations, and and then they auction it off. And the cool thing for you 
was that you were actually planning on going to Mexico, uh, but when you found out you could do it for roughly the same cost to do it in Texas and possibly become the first person ever to harvest a desert bighorn on public land with a bow, um, and that was all you needed to hear. That, that's exactly right. That's, that's, that's what I needed to hear. And so, so the, and so I had to do a little investigation first before I did it because the, the, of the 13 permits that the state issues, two of them are draw permits. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but they are restricted to rifle hunts. You actually are not allowed to bow hunt if you draw those permits. And so those were, so those weren't even an option, uh, to draw a tag. And so that what that left with it was either getting one, uh, on, on, uh, one from one of the private landowner outfitters or this one. And this one was very appealing to me, uh, to try to go uh, do it in Texas as opposed to Mexico and be the, the, the first person to do a, uh, be successful bow hunter on state land for sheep. You know, it's just, and, and so that's, that's what I ended up going with and was, re- you know, really glad I did. Uh huh. So, the preparations begin, um, and y'all, you know, would head out to Elephant Mountain near Alpine, Texas, uh, there at the uh, the Elephant Mountain WMA uh, public land out there. Cool thing, um, our Desert Bighorn program leader for Texas Parks and Wildlife and our good friend, Froilan Hernandez, uh, he was one of your guides, and, and he's a great guy, and he was actually on the show last week, and we were talking about uh, Desert Bighorns and their relationship with the invasive Awdad. Uh, so... He's obviously very knowledgeable. If anyone is gonna, you know, have their their finger on the pulse of our desert bighorns, I, I assume it would be Froilan. Yeah, he's he's the guy to know, and I and I had a, had a great time not only with Froy but uh, Dewey and Clay and and uh, Mark. All the guys that were out there were just were absolutely incredible to make this thing uh, go so well. And and and, it, and it's, it's great to see the passion that they have. For restoration and management of bighorns in Texas. I mean, this is, you know, this is their baby, and, and you can tell that by talking to them, and they want to see them succeed, and, and it's just been a huge success story for conservation to see what they've done so far. No doubt about it, and we're up to over 1,500 animals now, uh, which is phenomenal, and uh, and it seems like, you know, we're actually trending upward, which is great news as well. Um so how many days did it take before you finally had a shot a shot opportunity? I was reading here um, in this article by Connor Harrison, our good friend over at Lone Star Outdoor News, uh, titled Of Arrows and Bighorns. It took you more than a day. I mean, these animals are obviously very hard to hunt. They live in the most rugged, and and, th- and that's not a lie. They live in the most rugged terrain in Texas. In fact, it, it, I would say uh, from, from a physical hunt was definitely one of the hardest hunts that I've ever done. And I had my wife with me and she was like, I don't know if I can keep doing this. This is, you know, she's in shape too. And it was wearing her out, but I, I, I'll, 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 I finally took the sheep on the fourth day, but I will tell you um, that at the end of the third day, we were really having um, second doubts about it. And uh, cause what I, what I was doing, I, it was a, you were entitled to a 10 day hunt, but you could split it into two five day hunts. And mm-hmm. so we decided on the first one, let's just do five days, and if it doesn't work, we'll figure out when we're going to do the other five days. So when we got in on the, after the third day, I'm like, okay, when are we when are we going to pick the next five days? When am I getting back out here? Because it was, I mean, it was tough. And um, and, and these things are the, the eyesight on them is absolutely incredible. And you can't get away with you can't get away with a lot of stuff. And uh, just trying to get within bow range in that in that rugged country is is not something that's easy to do. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. Well, um, I know you had some some close encounters. You know, y'all were in sheep every day, but 
you know, that doesn't mean that you were within bow range or that, or maybe you were in bow range, but you couldn't see the animals. Well, yeah, no, no, you're exactly right. So, so there's so many factors that go into it and we were, we were, let's put it this way. We were within, we were within rifle range of, of a good harvestable ram every day, but you know, getting in rifle range when the rifle hunt stops, uh, that's when the bow hunt begins. And so it was covering that additional, uh, that additional distance. We were on the first day, we were actually within, uh, say 50 to 70 yards of a, of a, a band of 12 rams that actually had two shooters in it. So we were within bow range of some of the rams in that group. The problem was they were all bedded and kind of bunched up and we were up kind of behind some rocks and, and, and the one, the two shooters just wouldn't, present themselves finally one of them actually you know he came out on the first day and he was within he was broadsided 84 yards and i said and he, although i you know i shoot out to 90 yards that's more for practice to make a, a closer shot seem closer mm-hmm. uh, and i on the first day uh, you know I, that's not a shot i was going to take and so these things are just too majestic to risk wounding one of them and so we watched them and and uh, actually crawled up again and got within 40 yards of them again after they moved, but we were within the, the 40 yards of the ones that we couldn't, you know, that weren't shooters. And so mm-hmm. the two that we needed uh, to, to rise up out of the grass were, were back a little bit down the ridge, 50 or 60 yards away, and we just didn't have a clear shot at them. So, you know, we had, we had op- opportunities like that that uh, never worked out, and that's the deal with bow hunting. You just you just got to keep putting opportunities together, and keep putting opportunities together, and hopefully at some point one of them will work out. Right, right, yeah. And um, like you said, you know, you'd been practicing out to 90 yards. Um, people don't realize how big of a factor wind can be, though. And, and when you get up in these mountain hunt, you know, these type of con- conditions, that wind starts swirling. It's blowing 30, 40 miles an hour, and uh, and that's especially uh, you know, difficult when you talk about bow hunters. Right, that's right. And, and, and I always, I always say about bow hunting, if you're, if you're doing a spot and stalk hunt, that wind is your best friend and it's also your worst enemy that from, from your best friend standpoint, you can get away with so much more on a spot and stalk hunt when it's windy. As far, you know, as far as getting in range, it, it covers your noise. Everything's moving, so if they see you moving a little bit, you know, it, it just looks like something else moving. So from that stand, standpoint, it's your best friend for getting you within bow range, but then it becomes your worst enemy when you actually have to make the shot, if the shot's of any distance at all, uh, because of what it can do to the arrow flight. Mm-hmm. Well, you get in range of this shooter on the fourth day. Um, when you finally have the shot opportunity, I, I did read you had to shoot from your knees. The, the Rams mm-hmm. had already really seen you, but weren't really sure what was going on. Um, how far of a shot did you end up taking? It was 51 yards. And so, yeah, so what happened was we, we actually went out early. This was the first morning you could actually see up the mountain from the bottom of the road right off the bat. And so all the fog had blown out, but it was replaced with all the wind that blew the fog out. So, uh, we spotted the ram early and then went up on top of the mountain and then and then we started coming down on top of it. And so we, we crawled uh, to the ridge um, where, where they were below. And as we were coming over, Dewey, the guide, kind of raised up. And when he did, well, the sheep sitting there looking at him. And so he kind of knew we were there. So we dropped back down. We didn't really have a shot from that standpoint. And so there was another patch of grass you know, three or four yards down a little bit. So, so Dewey and I literally just belly crawled, pushing forward with our toes down to that next little patch of grass. 
And I still hadn't even, honestly, I hadn't seen the sheep since we've been up top because we didn't want we didn't want all these heads poking up looking for it. So Dewey's the one that spotted it, told me where it was, and so we just kept going. Uh, and so when we when we were behind that patch of grass, I was finally able to get get on my knees behind the grass without being seen. That I raised my head up just enough where I could see the head uh, of the sheep. And 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 so there's a rock there's a rock between us and the sheep that I've got to raise up high enough so that the arrow doesn't hit the rock when I shoot. It's probably halfway between us, and this is all going downhill. And so I couldn't draw the bow while the sheep was looking at us. In fact, I couldn't even draw the bow right behind the, the, the grass. So I had to get Dewey to back up just a bit, and I kind of backed up into this little slot where the grass was now beside me. And uh, the, the sheep kept looking up at us, and then he would look off to the side. And I'm, uh, you know, when he looks off to the side, I'm thinking, I'm not taking that bait. I know that big eyeball is still staring right at me. <laughs> and, and so I wouldn't do anything. And finally, there was the two rams together. I don't know if they heard something or what, but they both at the same time just immediately turned and looked downhill. So they were looking straight away from us. And when they did, I, I yanked the bow back and was on the knees, and that's when I started having to come up on my knees high enough so that the trajectory of the arrow would go over the rock. Mm. Wow. And so Dewey, Dewey was up with me. He ranged it. Uh, he says he says 51 yards. Honestly, I don't remember a thing he said. I just remember from earlier it was 54 yards, and we scooted up a little bit. So so the wind was in a real strong crosswind from left to right, and the sheet was facing from left to right. So I just put the 50-yard pin basically center mass right in the middle of the sheep, figuring that, that, the, that the wind, it was going to drift up into his shoulders. Um, and, and so when I released, I really wasn't even sure we'd hit it because you couldn't see the sheep's leg. I could just see, you know, the way I was, you could just see his uh, chest and his um, head. So was he standing? The, yeah, he, oh yeah, he had stood up by this point. He okay. wasn't so bad. He was standing at this point. Uh-huh. And so both of them were. So they took off and... Um, and Dewey, he watched the era, and he thought it went. He wasn't sure it didn't go underneath the brisket too. He wasn't sure either. It just you, it, you couldn't hardly see, kind of with all the grass and the vegetation uh, between us and him. And so we jumped up and we ran over the ridge, and we, you know, we're we're looking off the ridge trying to find the sheep. Honestly, I was pulling out another era in case I'd missed it. You know, mm. that hopefully he'd stop down below us, I'd get another shot. And we we didn't see anything. So Cody, so we have all these guys down on the base of the mountain that are watching this, and they're you know basically what they're doing is if if, if there's a shot, they want to watch where the sheep goes, but nobody wants to lose the sheep. Right. And so um, Cody turned on his radio, and and uh, was, Cody's one of the assistant guys. He turned on the radio and asked them if they saw where the sheep went. They said, Yeah, he just quit kicking, and <laughs> and he was like, Well, where? Where is he? And he says, he's right behind, right in front of that tree next to y'all. And we looked down, and we were literally standing in this just this uh, really, really good blood trail. We, we didn't even realize it when we got over there, but we looked down, and we're standing in the blood trail. And then, you know, we walked down a little bit, and the sheep's laying out there. But, uh, wow. <laughs> you know, to go from not knowing if you hit the sheep to, yeah, he just quit kicking. Uh, Needless to say, we were uh, we were pretty emotional about the whole thing. Yeah, well, and that was actually going to be my next question. I, I, I imagine it was an emotional experience walking up on your first of the the four North American sheep species. Oh, it was. It was yeah, and, and, and you know, I kind of started in reverse order. Most people end with a desert bighorn, and I, I guess that's where I started. But uh, it, when you look at all the different things that lined up, 
um, you know, not only was it, uh, you know, just a great sheep, it was, it was a really nice sheep, but having just gone through what we had for the last four days, you know, trying to trying to put it together, you know, not knowing if you hit it. My wife was with me crawling. She was right behind me when I shot. She, she was there for the whole experience. And then the, the, the guys from the state, you have no idea how pumped up they were. Uh, Froy and everybody, to, but they were pumped up because <laughs> you know they saw the opportunity for this to be the first one on state land with a bow too, and so and so they were really hoping it was going to happen, and so it was just as exciting for them, and 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 you know, and I was just as happy for them, for, because I, I you know I'd have never been able to do this without them. They 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 know the mountain, they know the sheep, and I don't, and it's just it was just it was a team effort all the way around. And, mm-hmm. And so it was just, it really was, um, you know, the stars line. It was, it was pretty darn emotional. Wow. Yeah. I, it sounds like uh, the hunt of a lifetime for sure. And um, I, I believe that it's also a, a new state record, um, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, which that leads me to the next question of, you know, what did it score and how old was it? Yeah. Well, so as far as the state record goes, you know, the, the, the Froy and the guys, they think this is the fourth, they think it's the fourth sheep taken in Texas with the bow, and they and so I, we I, this that's not something we've confirmed yet. But th- they think that the, the the largest one they knew of was 169 um, inch sheep. This one uh, green score net was 172 and seven eighths, I believe. Hmm. Wow. Um, which which is uh, you know plenty for Boone and Crockett. Now, so here let me so here's the interesting thing I found out from Connor yesterday, and this is something that. That we may have to work on. Yeah, what a, uh, and, and I know what you're going to say, and I'm just going to say, what an elitist bunch of jerks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so Pope and Young's response to Connor when he called Pope and Young was that, well, we don't recognize desert bighorn sheep in Texas. And I'm like, and I'm like, excuse me? I mean, I, and I, and it just, I haven't entered anything in Pope and Young in probably 15 years. I just, that's just, you know, I'm not, that's not what I do. And so, but just to say that even uh, was just, was pretty shocking. So they, they've actually, I know there's been some other people in touch with them since then, and what they've suggested is just go have it measured and send it in, and and, and we'll kind of take it from there. Mm, and no. so, but you know, I, it, it, it's it's curious that that uh, you know my my response to them was one of your primary goals, and it's listed in your literature, is the conservation of habitat and species. So when you have one of the biggest success stories in conservation in the nation being desert bighorns in Texas. And you're not going to recognize that. Uh, there's a, there's a little bit of a disconnect there, and I think they'll I think they'll figure that out. My yeah. my, my guess is really they've just never had this come up before. Yeah, and I was just kidding. I, I love the Pope and Young Club, and they actually uh, they sent an email uh, to me, basically advising you to just do exactly what you said, uh, submit it, and they will get the boundaries um, altered so that Texas is included. Uh, so uh, kudos to them for fixing that slight oversight i'm sure that uh, they'd be happy to have your ram included but yeah it was kind of surprising you know to hear connor tell me that well the pope and young club doesn't recognize uh texas desert bighorns and obviously the response is well why in the hell not uh so i think that oversight's gonna be fixed now that being said love the pope and young club wish they wouldn't you know foster um i don't want to say elitist but uh, just that attitude of, of fair chase and, and no feeders is the only way to hunt big game uh, because obviously that's that's not the way that most of the country can hunt, to be honest. Uh, we don't all have 
millions of acres of, of pristine, untouched public land. So I wish people would understand that just because you might hunt different from someone else doesn't make your way better or worse. Uh, we're all in this together. Right. Well, and I think they just had their facts wrong because I think in that same conversation they had with Connor, they said that, that Boone and Crockett doesn't recognize them either, uh, which is patently false. I think there's, uh, I think he said there's like 30 in Boone and Crockett from Texas. And in fact, if you, a lot of the, the stuff you see from the state is they, they brag about like half the, the desert sheep that have been taken to Texas qualify for Boone and Crockett. Yeah. You know, and so I think there's just, I think there's just a mix up and some mistake. Um, going on because this just hadn't been the place to do it. it. Nothing about it makes any sense right now. Well, based on the Pope and Young Club's email to me, uh, they are working to correct that slight oversight. Uh, so my hat's off to them. Kudos for being proactive. Um, what is next on your uh, on your list there, Alan, as you continue to work through the uh, North American big game species? Well, I've I've got another doll sheep hunt this summer. Uh, we're gonna go we're gonna go try that again. So we're that that's next on the list. That'll come up in August. Wow! Uh, and go give that a whirl. Perfect. Perfect. So, awesome. Yeah. So this, this, this the sheep the sheep hunting is addicting. It's 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 definitely from a physical standpoint, it's the hardest of any of the the, the hunts that I've done. Even I mean I've, I've I've done mountain goat and even a mountain goat. Um, wasn't this difficult uh, i think they're just easier to hunt but um it, it's definitely addicting uh, you know and I, and I can't afford to do this i just you know i figured you know i don't want to get to be the age in life where i can finally afford to go sheep hunting but physically i just can't do it yeah you know i just i don't want to be that guy i guess i can always say welcome to walmart later but i you know while i can <laughs> physically do this i'm going to go do it while i can and um and we'll, we'll worry about the finances later. But just, you know, I, like, I, I don't want to be the guy that looks back on life and says, man, I wish I would have done that. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're certainly living the dream, my friend. Uh, congratulations on the first ever public land desert bighorn sheep taken with archery equipment here in Texas. A hell of an accomplishment. And uh, it's uh, equally as, as great of an accomplishment for Texas Parks and Wildlife because that's, uh, that's the real success story here is is desert bighorn restoration in west texas absolutely yeah there, there i mean there's so many people and organizations that have been involved in restoration of, of bighorns that they're, they're the ones that really need to be congratulated on this, this deal because my, my deal this is just a little milestone in in a long list of successes for that that effort and that's really what it is well alan uh, congrats again, and uh, I guess we better let you get out of here. I'm sure you've got plenty of uh, mayor-type responsibilities uh, that need tending to, but uh, thank you so much for your time today. Great. Well, Cable, I sure appreciate it. Take care. Thank you. All right. Round Rock, Texas Mayor Alan McGraw, uh, about as passionate a bow hunter as you're going to find uh, tackling the North American Super Slam with stick and string is quite the undertaking. Uh, that segment, by the way, proudly brought to you by Buck Chum from the same folks who brought you ghost powder. Buck Chum offers those post-rut bucks the nutrition they need to recover after a long, hard rut. You can find Buck Chum by visiting ghostpowder.com. Uh, let's knock out a quick break. When we come back, we'll change things up, uh, talk some turkey loads and how to pattern that shotgun to make sure you know your effective killing distance this spring. We'll do that with Field and Stream Shotgun Editor Phil Bourgeley after the break only on DSE's Lone Star Outdoor Show. 
Gotta go now, baby. If I hurry, I can still make Cheyenne. Cable Smith here with my good friend Craig Smith, owner of Game Guard Outdoors. And you know, Craig, Game Guard Camouflage has been concealing Texas hunters for over a decade now. And this fall, we're equally as excited about the brand new and revolutionary Gulf Coast Cooler, uh, the first modular cooler system ever to hit the market. Yeah, Cable, we're excited about it. It truly is a modular system. And now a guy doesn't have to have three or four different coolers. He can have one cooler that he can attach another one to it. We have wheel wheel attachments that snap onto the cooler to get it to and from the boat. and with A lot more attachments to follow this season. Well, we're certainly looking forward to using ours in the field this fall. And Cable, we want to we wanna thank our customers again. This is our 11th season and, and uh, things just keep getting better and we appreciate every one of them. Well, we appreciate you, Craig. And for more information, y'all visit gulfcoastcooler.com. Hi, I'm Craig Boddington. I'd like to invite you to become a member of Dallas Safari Club, one of the world's leading hunting and conservation organizations. As a member, you'll receive Game Trails magazine, a monthly newsletter, and invitations to our monthly meetings and special activities. Join Dallas Safari Club, an international organization based in Dallas, supporting hunting and conservation worldwide. For more information, call 800-9-GO-HUNT or visit our website at www.biggame.org. BioBore EB is the premier gasoline additive that combats the negative effects ethanol has on an engine. Its comprehensive formula is designed to protect marine engines and marine environments, yet also works great in all two- and four-stroke engines. It prevents phase separation and ethanol-related engine problems while stabilizing fuel for 18 months. BioBore's detergents also clean the entire fuel system of carbon and varnishes. BioBore EB has the best treat rate in the industry. One ounce treats an amazing 15 gallons of gas. Available at your local sporting goods store or visit BioBore.com today. Howdy folks, I'm Lee Hoffpair for Hoffpair's Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas. I hope you're enjoying the Lone Star Outdoor Show. We've been a title sponsor for a number of years now, and we're proud to be a part of it. I'd also like to thank you for making Hoffpair's once again the number one Polaris dealer in Texas. Please keep buying your Polaris products from us. Send us your friends, your neighbors, all your hunting buddies, and I promise we'll keep giving the best deals on a brand new Polaris in all of Texas. Whether you're looking for a Polaris for work or play, whether you need a regular Ranger or maybe a Ranger Crew, an RZR, they've got an all-new Ace that you need to come test drive. We've also got four-wheelers from a youth model all the way up to the all-new Sportsman 1000. For your Polaris headquarters, Hoff Powers Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas is who you need to see all or get on the web and contact today. You can check us out at hpolaris.com. That's H's in Hoff Power, polaris.com. Or you can come see us at Highway 84 West in Gulfway, Texas. And folks, Hoff Powers has been in Central Texas for over 50 years now, and we couldn't have stuck around this long if we were steering you wrong. Hi, I'm Greg Hackney, 2014 Bassmaster Angler of the Year, and you're listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Time for coffee because the sun will be coming up soon. And we've got to get a move on before these birds start singing their tune. If you're low on cash, don't speak it. If your job is a grind, don't. Cable Smith welcoming everybody back to Dallas Safari Club's Lone Star Outdoors show. Great tune there from our good friend and hunting buddy Justin Bowerman. Leave it at the front gates, the name of that one. And I tell you what, that one really hits home for me. Uh, it's so easy to get caught up in the hustle and bustle of this uh, modern world that we live in. And, uh, you know, so many of us get into the great outdoors to escape and, and reconnect with nature and and our creator, 
and all the beauty that surrounds us, you know, when we are in the great outdoors. Uh, so just try to enjoy the ride and remember that it's uh, not always about catching a limit of crappie or, or killing your limit of ducks. Of course, yeah, those are, those are wonderful things. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, it's about living the wildlife and just being there. Um, but anyway, spring turkey is officially here. The south zone opened up today. And we are going to get into the importance of patterning your shotgun and knowing how your your load, whatever load it is that you're shooting, but how it performs at different distances. So basically knowing your maximum effective killing range. Uh, and we'll do that here in just a second with Field & Stream shotgun editor Phil Borgeli. But first, this segment is brought to you by Lone Star Beer, my favorite way to uh, to wind down after a long Hard day spent traipsing through the Texas turkey woods is by cracking open an ice-cold Lone Star Light. Lone Star Beer, the national beer of Texas. Well, let's go ahead and uh, welcome our next guest here. He's actually uh, a good friend of the show and joins us periodically. Um, you've probably read countless articles and columns of his in Field & Stream over the years. It's my pleasure to welcome Field & Stream shotgun editor Phil Borgeli back to the show. Well, great. Thank you very much. I, you know, I was just about down in Texas. Uh, got back Sunday night. I was at the 74 Ranch south of San Antonio at a shooting school. Um, that was all. That was a sporting clay school. But as I was leaving, as I, there was four big gobblers crossed the highway, <laughs> and I stopped and honked my horn at them, and they all gobbled at me. And I started to get excited about turkey hunting, even though I don't get to start until late April up here in Iowa. Well, you definitely timed it right. That's for sure. Because man, we have had a very late winter uh, here in the Lone Star State, and we actually had some, some sunny blue sky days here the past week. Don't don't even try to match me for late winters. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Uh, we, yeah, our season starts in the south zone this weekend, and then March, uh, excuse me, April 4th for the uh -huh. north zones. Turkeys are, are on everyone's mind, and uh, that's what we want to talk today. I enjoyed your, your latest column in Field and & Stream, and uh, it's actually... Uh, titled The Longest Yards. Mm -hmm. um, so talk a little bit about the, the premise here um, as far as, you know, what prompted you uh, to write this piece. Well, turkey loads are getting better and better all the time. Uh, it's, it's incredible how far away it will shoot a turkey killing pattern. Uh, but as people start to think about extending their maximum range, and I'm not always you know, it's one of the things I'm not always comfortable writing or talking about because I think turkeys should be killed at 30, you know, 20 to 35 yards to mm -hmm. me is where you want to shoot them. But as you start reaching out, try to see what your gun and choke will do with some of this new ammunition at, at longer ranges, uh, it's important to remember that it's not just about one pattern uh, because there's a great deal of variability from pattern to pattern, even in the best ammunition. And, and it's also important to remember that uh, just because your gun and choke and load will shoot a long way doesn't mean you can hit that far away. It's, you know, shooting at, at turkeys is it's easy, but it can be harder than people think. Mm -hmm. So I, I just wanted to sort of take people through the steps of how to pattern your gun and, and think about how far away you really should be shooting at a bird. Right, right. Well, yeah, and I've actually never shot a turkey outside of uh, probably 35 yards. And I've only ever missed one inside that range, and that's because that big old gobbler walked right behind a T-post as I pulled the trigger, and uh, that thing acted like uh, a shield for that for that gobbler's dome, and, and he flew off, and I was left there 
throwing my cap on the ground and cursing like a lunatic, but <laughs> uh, we got it all on film. It was a sight to see. Uh, but that being said, I routinely reach out and try to touch coyotes with my 12 gauge at 50, you know, 60 yards. And, uh, and, and they're oftentimes moving and that makes it even a little bit more difficult than, you know, shooting a, a relatively still Turkey. Maybe he's just strutting and, you know, either way, they're not moving very fast most of the time. Um, so you talk about the importance of understanding your shot, how it performs at different distances and, you know, being aware that it decays relatively quickly, meaning um, how it performs at 40 yards is going to be vastly different uh, from how it performs at 50 yards. They really do. Uh, they reach a point, and this, you know, the newer ones, said the Longbeard stuff especially, stay together. You know, the forests are, are terrific at long range, but every pattern gets to a point where air resistance just breaks it down and, and all of a sudden it goes to pieces. Uh, and so, and I noticed that, you know, you're talking about coyote hunting. I noticed that really when I shot, I did a bunch of buckshot patterning, you know, it's been a few years ago, but, uh, that was really my takeaway there. A pattern that is just deadly at 40 yards can be worthless at 50. So mm-hmm. you really do need to test in five or 10 yard increments. And with turkey hunting, I like to see, no, a hundred pellets in a ten-inch circle. I don't shoot so much at turkey head targets as I, I do with just at paper and, and an aiming mark, and then make a ten-inch circle around it because I figure the turkey can be, you know, that <clears throat> sort of shows I, I can make an error in pointing, or the turkey can move his head, or whatever. But if I've got that ten-inch circle covered, that's pretty much my margin for error, and, and so I want that fully covered with pellets. And you know, about a hundred is good. Sometimes, you know, maybe eighty or ninety, but a hundred is is what I like to see, and and more than a hundred is good too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and I want to I want to see that because that's I want that to be the worst pattern I shoot. As I say, you know, shotgun shells vary a lot, shot to shot, and uh, so I want I'm going to assume that that when I pull the trigger in the woods, that I've got that worst shell in my gun, just you know, just to make sure. And so I, I go by the worst pattern I shoot. I'll shoot. I try. To, I like to shoot five. Mm-hmm. I'm testing sometimes, sometimes I shoot three, but five is five, five shots per distance. Uh-huh. Okay. Right. You know, and sometimes I'll do three, you know, three, usually you get, you get two good ones and a bad one. Um, so you get to see what, you know, what the worst case performance is that time. Right. Yeah. And everybody's pattern is going to be different based on the shot that you use, um, the barrel, you know, and choke tube that you have in your gun. Uh, you know, folks these days, myself included, love to use the turkey or predator-specific uh, barrel, and uh, you know that will also affect how your your shot performs at different distances. Uh, so, really, just knowing your combination and how it uh, performs is key. Uh, shifting gears here, though, Phil, you'll probably uh, be surprised and pleased that uh, one of your uh, your pieces from this fall on the pump shotgun and whether it is a dying breed or not uh, really inspired me to uh, to get back to my pump roots. And and I'm only going to hunt with a pump shotgun this season. Uh, the Mossberg 835 is what I'll be taking into the turkey woods. And, and uh, I'm excited about it because not only are pump shotguns great, they perform flawlessly, uh, but also in your opinion, they're much safer uh, when that excitement of a, a possible downed gobbler uh, takes takes over a hunter. It can be a pretty intense thing. 
I, I do like pump guns. I, I, used to, I shot A35 for several years and loved it and uh, had to sell it to pay for some emergency dog surgery. But uh, I just shoot an A70 today, and, and I just, with turkey hunting, I still get pretty excited. Yeah. And when I shoot a turkey, I usually then am launching out of the tree at <clears throat> running out there, and I like to know that my gun is totally safe, but that there's another shell in the chamber in case I need it. And that's, that's what you get with a pump gun. Mm-hmm. You know, as long as you don't work the action, the gun is, after you shoot, the gun is totally safe. And then you've got another shell right there. If the turkey decides to get up and run away, man, there are few things in this world that get my adrenaline flowing, like uh, going toe to toe with a mature Tom and, and coming out on top. Now, uh, one other thing you mentioned here is shooting position. You know, finding a consistent one is, is always key. Um, but that always isn't a possibility in the turkey woods because if you like to hunt them like like I do and, and like I know you do as well where you're running and gunning, oftentimes it's a game of chess and uh, you know, you're just trying to strike a bird and then set up on them without getting seen. So, you know, you're looking for that piece of brush or that last tree between you and where you think the bird's gonna show up and uh, you don't always have the opportunity to, you know, sit in that same position. But you know, find one that works, try to use that one, but also experiment and get comfortable with, with other shooting positions as well. Well, yeah, and as you point out, especially down there in Texas, a lot of times I've hunted down there, there have not been very big trees to sit against. Plus, there's a lot of sharp stuff down there, too. <laughs> that you don't want to sit in and ants and other things. Um, none of that. We don't have any of that where I live. Um, in fact, last turkey I shot in, in Texas, I was kind of squished back into a little short cedar tree. But uh, so it can be tough, um, and it, it's great to find that you know the ideal position is going to be slightly quartering away if you're right-handed, you know, slightly off to the the right of where the turkey is coming, so that you've got the your natural point of aim is you know not quite a 45 degree angle, but you know off quartering off to your left. Um, that's that's the easiest mm-hmm. position, but you don't always have that. And one of the things that I tell people to do is is to take some, a box of field loads. You don't want to need to shoot turkey loads and do it. And practice. Practice shooting from different positions. Practice shooting, if you're right-handed, practice shooting left-handed. I've killed one. I'm left-handed. I killed one turkey right-handed several years ago because it came in on the wrong side. And it's a lot easier to get the gun up without a lot of movement if you can switch shoulders. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, and to say you don't, you can just, it's just kind of fun. You can take pop cans. You can take whatever you want out and put them around and then practice shooting different ways, twisting around, left-handed, right-handed, whatever you think you know, might have to do in the woods and, and get comfortable with it and, and learn that you can do it. Mm-hmm. So really vary your, your repertoire there as far as being yeah. consistent with different positions. Sure. Well, you know, most people, when they, they get ready for turkey season, and I do this too, you go out, you pattern your gun from a bench, and that's it. And, and it's just like anything else. I, I know it's an easy shot, but... Boy, there's a lot of ways to miss turkeys. Um, a little little target practice can can help you avoid some of those misses. Oh yeah, there are plenty of ways to screw up uh, what should seem like a relatively easy shot on a still turkey. Uh, T posts, in my experience. Uh, Until you miss a turkey, you wonder how anyone ever does it. Uh, uh, then you find out. <laughs> that is the truth. Well, hey. Y'all take your shotguns, get out there, play around with whatever load it is that you're going to be hunting with this season. Uh, I think we're going to be using the Spectra Shot White Lightning once again. Uh, but whatever it is that you're comfortable with, get out there, play around with it, 
Find out what your maximum effective killing range is because you can reach out there and touch them at, uh, at 50, 60 yards with today's ammo. There's no doubt about that. Yes, you can. I don't, I don't. 50 is the farthest I've ever killed a turkey, and that's been three or four of them, and I really don't shouldn't have done that, and I really don't want to do anything farther, but, but the, well, we have the ammunition now and the guns that will do it if, if that's what you want to do. Well, there's nothing like calling one into 20 yards. Now, five, no, I did miss one at five steps one time. That is too close. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I, I hope that that never happens to me, but you never know. Hey, uh, Phil, always enjoy reading your pieces in Field and Stream. Uh, thanks so much for your time today, and I wish you a great spring turkey season, my friend. Well, you too. Thanks a lot for calling. So there he goes, Field and Stream, shotgun editor and our, our longtime friend, Phil Borgeli. Uh, that segment, by the way, proudly brought to you by Sendero Seed Company, Texas premier seed company. They've got anything and everything you need to keep a happy and healthy whitetail herd, including the Dr. Deer-backed Buck Forage Oats. Check them out at SenderoSeed.com or call Rob Hughes at one 610 seed today. Sendero Seed Company for all your planting needs. Let's go ahead and take a quick break here. Uh, head on down to the Texas coast up next as we check in. With our good bud, Captain Lynn Gerard, we're talking redfish, trout, flounder, black drum, and who knows what else. It's our Coastal Fishing Report only on Dallas Safari Club's Lone Star Outdoors show. Because I'm just a country boy. Money have I none. But I've got silver in the stars and gold. Hey y'all, Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. If you're in the market for a compact track loader, then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at Bobcat of Dallas, Louisville, Bobcat of Fort Worth, and Bobcat of Longview. Visit BobcatofDallas.com or call 469-586-0000 today. At LSC Trailer Sales, we offer a full line of utility trailers from small single axle trailers to heavy equipment trailers, ATV trailers, car haulers, landscape trailers, cargo trailers, truck beds, and more. We can special order a custom trailer specific to your needs and have the ability to customize standard models in-house. LSC Trailer Sales is here to assist you with any questions you might have about trailers. Call 940-484-5500 or visit us at lsctrailersales.com. Finally, quality trailers at affordable prices in Dallas-Fort Worth. Do you have a hog problem at your ranch or deer lease? We have the solution. The System Hog Trap comes in two sizes, 17-foot and 30-foot diameter traps. After you trap the hogs, take the top section off the trap and use it for another feeder site to keep the hogs away from the feeder. The System is both a trap and a deer food plot fence. That way you don't waste your money on just a hog trap. Call 940-391-3669 or visit www.goinfencing.com. That's goinfencing.com. 
Hey, North Texas sports fans. This is Brian Spagnola, general manager of Texas Motor Cars in Addison. My family's been in the car business for over 50 years, and I want to show you the difference in buying from a family-owned and operated business. TexasMotorCars.com is an awesome website that lets you do virtually all of your shopping online. We have a professional photographer that takes amazing photos, and we give you all the information that you'll need up front. You can even find out how much we will give you for your trade-in before you ever come in. I take pride in the fact you can come in, choose a car, and be out in less than an hour. We have financing rates starting at 1.79% on pre-owned vehicles and can help almost anybody. Please do yourself a favor. If you're in the market for a pre-owned vehicle of any kind, give us a shot. Let me show you how easy buying a vehicle should be. Visit TexasMotorCars.com or come visit our 20,000-square-foot indoor showroom in Addison. Again, visit TexasMotorCars.com or call us at 1-888-9-TX-MOTORS. Because the weather's nice and the water's bright Man, I could fish here all damn night When you had a bad day and your mind is in a haze You can clear your head in these salt water of the Texas coast right there. Saltwater Bay is the name of that one from Brandon Keyes bringing us back on DSC's Lone Star Outdoors show brought to you by Lone Star Beer and Hoff. Power Polaris, I'm Cable Smith, and we are actually about to get into some Saltwater Bay's discussion here uh, with our good friend Captain Lynn Gerard. But first, this segment of the show proudly brought to you by our friends at Foreverlast, a Texas-based and family-owned company. They've got a full line of unique hunting and fishing products, including everything you need to get outfitted for your trip to the coast this season. So check them out at Foreverlast.com, Foreverlast, where we live hunting and fishing. Well, I understand our next guest is on the line. Uh, He joins us every month for our Texas Coastal Fishing Report. He has long been a fan favorite. It's my pleasure to welcome back the always affable Captain Lynn Gerard. Well, I'm just about getting ready to go again. I actually took a day off. <laughs> it's been really, really good. The fishing's been crazy good. Yeah. We've been catching the black drum and the red fish and some of the sheephead, which are all spawning right now. And we found a place just before Baffin Bay, which has just been incredible. I'm talking limits every single day, and I'm talking about between 50 to 100 pounds of fish, too. So it's been it's been great. Wow, so lots of uh, happy customers, and I know uh, oh, you're yeah. catching some some big drums. Sent me some pictures last week of just some absolute giants, and uh, when you get into those on light tackle, uh, that can uh, <laughs> it's pretty fun. Yeah, they love it too. I mean, you you can I mean, there's all of a sudden you'll get into a bunch of them. Sometimes you'll catch as many as you know four or five, you know, in one day, and that's that's kind of bringing it overboard. But most of them are. When you catch a drum, it's like right on the cusp because you can't keep them over 30 inches. But when you catch one right at that 27 to 30 inch mark, I mean that's a lot of meat. I mean you're talking you're you're talking 15 almost 20 pound fish. Mm-hmm. And uh, and once it's filleted, well, a lot of people like to put them on the half shell on the grill and stuff. So yeah, well, and that's it's been, you can't beat the. It's just uh... so hot. It's just like it's just like almost like every cast, especially when you're. You've never fished for a lot of these guys. I get the winter Texans and stuff are just about done now. But when they come down, all they catch is, you know, a few muskier or some walleye or, or a lot of guys will come down and they're just, you know, they just have fished for bluegill and crappie and they get their hands on the pole and, and feel these fish. They just go, it's, it's ecstatic. They're just really happy. Well, uh, 
I know that, uh, like you said, you've been you've been getting into uh, a lot of big fish. Um, what 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 baits are you primarily using right now? Are they hitting dead shrimp or uh, are you? Well, you know what they they use dead shrimp a lot, but I go out of my way to use live. I mean, they always say you can use dead shrimp. Well, you can when the fish are in a frenzy, but I've I've just seen it recently that I can be in the middle of you know five or six boats because shrimp are really hard to find. But I ended I have a tendency to find them wherever they're at. So I'm usually always with live shrimp. And you can bring, you can take that big shrimp, because they're pretty big right now, you can take that big shrimp and just crack his tail. And what it does, it, you know, lets out you can't get away quite as fast. And also it, it gives off a scent. And when you're fishing in, you know, murkier water, that always helps, especially with the drum. They feel the movement with the whiskers on their chin. They feel movement and, and the scent of that, you know, fresh shrimp. And they come around because I usually do better than anybody around me that is not using live shrimp. Probably anybody around me that's even using live shrimp out here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, what depth are you finding the the, uh, the black drum and, and also the redfish? Oh, right now I'm finding them. Well, most it, unless, if the sun's out, they go deeper because they, you know they don't feel hidden. But it's been overcast, and four foot is just about the mark. I was fishing three seven was my favorite number it was just like if i hit three seven i knew that was going to be it that was going to be the we were going to kill them so about three foot seven is all we use it's all the depth but you can't catch them in deeper water of course mm-hmm. well why well, i mean why bother if you're finding um, right yeah there? because like i said when they if the sun comes out they seem to move to a deeper area because they you know because the, the sunlight so if you, they don't feel like they're safe i guess or they feel like they're in the open so they'll go deeper uh-huh. So are you talking about, like, pools and little pockets, or are you fishing, when they go deeper, are you fishing off of the edge of, like, the Bakery Channel, or? Up pretty close to the intercoastal waterway, and so you're fishing the you're fishing pretty close to the drop-off. There's always fish in that drop-off, too. We hooked one in the drop-off the other day. It was right, you know, near my house. But uh, when you hook them, you just know it. I mean, your line just starts stripping. And sometimes when they're really, really big, you got to, you almost don't have a choice if you're almost at the end of your line and you really got to, you know, pull the anchor real quick or the power pole and actually the power pole, you pull the power pole up and you get under your trolling motor and you just got to chase them. There's, you know, nothing else you can do. Mm-hmm. And that's fine too. I mean, it's like a, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty exciting anyway, especially well, when you see that tail come up. Let me ask you this because, you know, I've, I've caught plenty of, of black from with you and, and, as far as table fare, I mean, they're as good as redfish. There's no doubt about it. Why do you think, um, and this is just your own personal opinion, but why do you think the redfish is, is so revered and this treasured, you know, game fish and, and the black drum, it's, you know, pretty close relative. Uh, I mean, it's like nobody really even cares about it for some reason. It's like an undervalued resource. I think the main reason is because they think that the black drum might be related to the to the drum that they catch in fresh water, which I, I've i never even seen one, actually, but the They're drum in fresh water is not very good or whatever. And uh, so they kind of must put them in that same category. And they're definitely not. I mean, they're the only legal fish you can sell in a restaurant. Uh, red fish you cannot sell in a restaurant unless it comes from, unless it's pen raised somewhere. I mean, you know, raised in a uh, fish farm. environment. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, fish farm and stuff like that. And the black drum is excellent. My wife won't even eat anything but. I mean, that's all she likes. She won't even eat it. Well, the sheephead's really good, though, but that's only one, you know, that's only a certain time of year when you catch these big sheepheads. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, like we only have a month of those, probably. Yeah. And they're, I think they're my favorite, too, though. They're, well, they're I, really... I just think it's weird. that And, the, yeah, the sheephead's kind of in that same 
uh, category of, you know, some people are like, oh, that's trash fish, and, you know, I'm here to tell you they're both. Well, also, you know what, you got to figure it's harder to clean, too. Mm-hmm. And so, but the redfish, you know, they're always in the tournaments, and it's just, you know, the higher caliber fish, and they are they are a little bit more aggressive because the redfish will hit a lure, and it's rare that you'll ever see a black drum hit a soft plastic or anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the redfish is a lot, you know, more of an aggressive type fishing. Yeah. When you're fishing redfish and trout. So they're, you know, pretty similar. Especially like when we're going to be getting the redfish pretty quick here again. And, and, uh, especially when they start, you know, hitting the surface lures and hitting your spoons and stuff. They're pretty aggressive, all right? They're pretty exciting. So. Well, yeah. And, and don't get, I mean, there's no question that the redfish is a, a more aesthetically pleasing to look at than the black drum. But, uh, oh, yeah. Make no mistake about it. They're, as far as table fare goes, they're, they're, uh, pretty even, in my opinion. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And as you were talking, you were saying something about the trout. Everybody said that the trout bite is slower, but it, the only reason it's slower is because the weather's been crazy and we have had cold fronts in the middle of a nice warm front. But mm-hmm. I know the tournaments, the last few tournaments they had here, which were, you know, big money tournaments, and they had a real rough time. And the water temperature had dropped, you know, almost like 40, you know, well, 40 outside 40, but water temperature probably dropped maybe 20 degrees and that just really throws the bite off completely throws the bite off so oh for sure yeah i don't think any less trout in fact i haven't really found out we'll find out until the spring to see how this new five trout limit's going to be you don't have a big trout bite until spring anyway mm-hmm. well yeah and i had asked you off the air about that because i read a recent article in uh, lone star outdoor news and some of the guides that you know run up to baffin every day were saying man where where are the big fish and yeah, I mean, they didn't go anywhere. I'm sure it's just because of the uh, those. Let's face it, we've had a pretty dang cold last three or four weeks here in Texas. Oh yeah, I mean, it was and we were warm before that. I mean, we we're fishing in shorts again for a while, then all of a sudden you got to bundle up again, and it, and it was a that was a long, long cold front. It seemed like it lasted forever. Yeah, <laughs> probably about over a week. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, hey, I do want to ask you one more thing, um, and. And this is just only only someone who's on the water every day would would know. Um, with gas prices dropping down to in some places under you know two dollars a gallon here in Texas, have you seen an uptick in the number of of recreational anglers and and uh, I mean because I imagine um, boat sales are, are you know starting to go up again boat with the drop. Boat sales have increased. Yeah, boat sales have increased. A lot of people that had their boats for sale when the gas got high are keeping their boats now if they didn't sell them and. And it just seems, it, well, it kind of helps my pocketbook, too, especially if you've got to run down to Baffin Bay. <laughs> I don't know if it's if it's that big a thing. Once again, I think we'll, we won't know until we have a lot more recreational um, people on the water. Like, this spring break was kind of bad for the commercial, I mean, for the recreational people because we had, you know, rain and whatever. So we haven't, didn't really see a whole bunch of spring breakers on the water this, this year. But we're still in the midst of it, so who knows? Yeah, yeah. We'll see. Well, uh, well, great stuff today, as always, Captain Lynn. You know, we've got uh, March Madness going on, and and the the drum and and flounder and soon to be trout are all going mad, hitting everything. It sounds like so. Uh, if people want to to uh, check you out, they can go to captainlinsfishing.com. Tell them that uh, they heard about you on our show, and they'll get a little Lone Star Outdoor Show discount. Absolutely. All right, Cale. Oh, we're off and running. All right, we we'll talk to your you kids. Soon. I saw them. They look pretty cool. They are a blessing, but uh, they'll make you'll you be able to go fishing pretty soon again. Don't, don't get worried. <laughs> they'll make you want to pull your hair out. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'll get you on the water and get you away from them for a, for a while. One of these days. <laughs>
Sounds like a plan. I'm thinking about scheduling a vasectomy just so I can uh, have a day to myself. <laughs> That's a good idea. <laughs> All right. Take care. Bye. All right. There he goes. Our good friend, Captain Lynn Gerard, who joins us live from the Texas coast every month. And obviously we talk some fishing and we also cut up a little bit and have a good time with Captain Lynn every month. Uh, that segment, by the way, brought to you by Rudy's Barbecue, where you can stop in for breakfast, lunch, or dinner, uh, including at the newest Rudy's in front of the Cabela's in Allen, Texas. Rudy's, true Texas-style barbecue. Um, man, just looking at the time here, we got to go. There is no way around that. Got to get out of here. Uh, thanks to all of our guests today, of course, Captain Lynn, as well as uh, Round Rock, Texas Mayor, and uh, avid bow hunter, Alan McGraw, congrats to him once again on becoming the first Texas bow hunter ever to harvest a desert bighorn on public land. Uh, we certainly appreciate him sharing his story. Also, our Texas Parks and Wildlife Turkey Program leader, Jason Harden, and Field and Stream Shotgun Editor, Phil Borgeli. I uh, certainly appreciate their contributions as well. Uh, we'll do it again, same time, same place, next week. I do believe that Texas country recording artist and uh, avid outdoorsman, Brandon Ryder will join us in studio, so certainly looking forward to that. Uh, thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of Dallas Safari Club's Lone Star Outdoors show. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying, y'all have a great week in the outdoors. Doesn't